You are listening to the Best in Wealth Podcast, episode number 180. This is the Best in Wealth Podcast, a show for successful family stewards who want real answers about wealth and investing so we can feel secure about our family's future. At the Best in Wealth Podcast, we think differently about wealth and investing, and you should too. Well, hello everyone. My name is Scott Wellens, and I'm your host of the Best in Wealth Podcast. Now, this is a show dedicated to helping real people, that is you, my friend, build real wealth so together we can take family stewardship to the next level. I am a certified financial planner, an educator, a Dave Ramsey SmartVestor Pro, a fiduciary, and a wealth advisor. It is great to be with you today, and today's episode is Record High Anxiety. But before we get to the topic of the day, let me tell you what I went through last weekend. Last weekend was one of my least favorite weekends of the year. In fact, I think it may be the least favorite. It is club volleyball tryout weekend. And I have a sixth grader and an eighth grader, and they love to play volleyball. And they're pretty good volleyball players. They are not the best in their grade, and they're not the worst, but they're up there. They're pretty good. So they play on their school team, but then you know how sports work these days. Back when I was in high school, you could be in multiple sports. I played football, basketball, and track all four years of high school. It was great. We didn't have club sports, but now everything is so specialized. Why? Because club sports is a money-making opportunity that so many participate in. And in the greater Milwaukee, Wisconsin area, there are many, many different clubs. And you never know which ones you're going to get into and which ones you're not. And so my girls will try out for three or four clubs each season. And you might have 150 people. In fact, two of the clubs my eighth grader tried out for, one of them had 147 show up and the other one 144. All to fill three or four teams of 10 girls on a team. So as you can imagine, almost 150 girls show up for a tryout and only 30 to 40 of them get offers. It is crazy and there's so much anxiety for the kids and for the parents. I know what you're thinking, Scott, then why do you let your kids do that? Well, <laughs> I do it because they love it, not during tryout weekend, but for the rest of the year. And I'm a huge believer, not in the anxiety around tryout weekend, but in the team building and the learning and the growing that kids can have during sports or any kind of team activity. I'm not one of those parents that think my girls are going to get Division I scholarships somewhere. I just want them to have fun. I want them to learn, and I want them to grow, and I think sports are great. We just happen to live in an environment right now where these sports are highly specialized. So imagine 150 girls going out for you know, a club volleyball 
or a club that has three or four teams, that means that 120, 110 girls are walking away from that two-hour tryout without an offer. And you know who has the offer because the coaches are running around handing the girls that got offers pieces of paper. So girls leave crying because they don't have an offer. Other girls are crying in the corner because they got an offer for a team, but not for the A team. It might have been the B or the C or the D team. It is literally crazy. And you get done with one club and you got to run off to the next club because there's another two-hour tryout. And you finally get home on a Saturday at 9 or 10 at night. You got to get up the next morning because there's more clubs to try out for. And some of these clubs you got to go to twice. So all you parents out there with kids that play sports, that play volleyball, you know what I'm talking about. Lots of stress, lots of anxiety. And my point to this story, my friends, is, oh, boy. I'm glad that it's over. Let's get to the topic of the day. All right, here we go. Record high anxiety. I'm going to move from club volleyball, which incidentally, my kids got on teams. They're going to do just fine. It just was a tough weekend to get through. But I want to talk about some other record high anxiety. Because I often ask, get asked the question, once somebody knows that I'm a financial advisor, they're, Scott, the market's so high right now, where's it going to go from here? It can't go up any further. Should I pull some money out of the market or should I move some money around? And if you've listened to me for long enough, you know that they probably shouldn't be asking me that question because they're going to get a really long answer from me and it's not going to probably be what they want to hear but investors you and me we get conflicted about record high prices i'm not immune to it either when i see the stock market having a great year part of my biases tell me how can the stock market keep going up you know we're really excited and pleased about how well our investments are doing i mean heck at the taping of this podcast, the S&P 500 is up almost 17% year-to-date, which is fantastic. However, we keep thinking about the dramatic downturn that might be in our future and how we might be reluctant to invest more money or maybe make some changes inside of our portfolio. And if you're one of those that are thinking about that, I highly recommend the podcast that I taped a couple of weeks ago or about a month ago where I speak about your unintended timing consequences. But when we see record high, it sometimes feels like if we keep investing, it's going to be a surefire recipe for disappointment. I mean, the stock market's got to come back down, doesn't it? And financial journalists, I mean, we know now that any journalist is trying to get to our emotions. Let's get the most dramatic headline we can so we can get as many clicks as possible, as many people to read our article. And really, do we really care that they're reading it? All we want is the click because the more clicks we get, the more money we make as a financial journalist. It's not their fault. It's just the way things are set up right now. 
So financial journalists are going to stoke our anxiety during record high periods. And they often suggest that the laws of physics somehow apply to the stock market, that what goes up must come down. Let me read to you a couple of stock market headlines from the last few years on how financial journalists stoke our anxiety. Jonathan Chang and Christian Bethelson in 2012 Wall Street Journal, stocks head back to earth. So the stocks were somehow out in the universe somewhere because they were so high and now gravity is pulling them back down to earth. What about 2017? Copentan. Weird science. Wall Street repeals law of gravity. This was in Barron's magazine in 2017. I mean, there are article after article that somehow talks about the laws of physics and how that relates to the stock market. However, you know what I'm concerned with? What is actually happening in the stock market during record highs? I mean, isn't that what you're thinking right now? Does gravity play a role? I mean, sure, we know that the stock market averages a correction just about every year. That's a 10% drop from its high. So you could say stocks are coming back to earth. The stock market averages two to three bear markets a decade. That's a 20% drop from its high. And then at least a recession or two a decade, which can be much further devastating to the stock market. So we know that. And when we feel like we're at a stock market high, those of us who find those observations alarming in the articles, the gravity, we're going to shy away from purchasing stocks at record high. We may have extra money on the sidelines. We may have a really healthy savings account, and we're waiting for some sort of a pullback to put money back in the market. But stock market shares are not heavy objects that are kept aloft through strenuous effort. I mean, remember what a stock is. When you own a stock, it's a perpetual claim on companies' earnings and dividends. There are thousands of business managers that go to work every day seeking projects that appear to offer profitable returns on your money while providing goods and services that people want and people desire. Sure, there's some ideas that don't work. There's some companies that end in failure. But history, which is what I all I really care about, offers a ton of evidence that you and me, investors, people around the world, can be rewarded for the capital they provide to these companies, investing in the stock market, in individual companies, which I don't always recommend, ETFs, mutual funds. We can be rewarded when the stock market is high and when the stock market is low. So here's the major lesson from this podcast, that you, as a family steward, should treat record high prices with neither excitement nor alarm. You should treat the stock market where it is today with indifference. Whether at a new high or a new low, today's share price reflects all investors' collective judgment on what tomorrow's earnings and dividends 
are likely to be. I mean, listen, every day, stocks have to be priced to deliver a positive expected return for the buyer. Otherwise, no trade would ever take place. I mean, who in their right mind would invest in the stock market if it didn't have a positive expected return? If we didn't look back and see long-term average returns that look really good. Every day, the stock market is expected to go up a little bit. Does that mean that it does? Heck no, but it's expected to. And that's why we invest in the stock market. Stocks over the long run have done better than bonds. Bonds have done better than cash. If we're going to invest in the stock market, we expect a higher positive return because sometimes we have to put up with ugliness, with corrections, with bear markets, opening our statements and seeing that our $500,000 401k is now $400,000. And does that mean gravity's pulling it down? No, it doesn't. I'll say it again. You and me should treat record high prices with neither excitement nor alarm. We should treat record high prices with indifference. If stocks have a positive expected return, reaching record highs with some frequency is exactly the outcome that we would expect. Right now, when you read on the news, stock markets, all-time highs. And we're not at an all-time high right now, but we're dang close. And we have been several times this year, with the S&P 500 being up 17%, we have reached record highs several times this year, several times last year. But if we expect a little bit of return, positive return every day, wouldn't we see record highs on a pretty regular basis? Not every day, because the stock market fluctuates and we have bad months, we have bad years, heck, we have had bad decades. The S&P 500 from 2000 to the end of 2009 averaged negative 1% per year. We went through the stock market bubble, the technology bubble, 2002, 2003, and the Great Recession. Now, you know my argument always is, if you were diversified and actually were in other asset classes other than just the S&P 500, you probably had a positive outcome from that decade. But listen to this. Using month-end data over a 94-year period ending in 2020, the S&P 500 index produced a new record high in more than 30% of those monthly observations. So how many observations do we have? We have 94 years of reliable stock market data times 12 months, that's 1,128 months that we're looking at. In 30% of those months, we had a record high. So one out of every three months, almost a record high. So when you read in the newspaper, stock markets hit another record high, well, sure they did. I'm going to treat that record high price with neither excitement nor alarm because it's an outcome that we expect 30% of months in the last 94 years. So if we have money on the sidelines ready to invest, what are we waiting for? Because if we keep that money on the sidelines for a month or two months or two years, we could very well be missing on 
so much positive return because we expect it every single day. But if our money's sitting on the sidelines, earning very little, because I don't know if you've looked lately, but cash is not returning much at all with interest rates where they are. 30% of all months in the last 94 years produced a record high. Moreover, purchasing stocks or mutual funds or ETFs at all-time records has, on average, generated similar returns over subsequent one, three, and five-year periods to those of a strategy that purchased stocks following a sharp decline. Do you want me to read that again? Purchasing shares, so shares of a company, of an ETF, of a mutual fund. And here we're looking at simply the S&P 500 index. This isn't an investment, it's just an index. But looking at that data, purchasing shares at all-time records has on average generated similar returns over the next one, three, and five-year periods. To those of a strategy that purchases stocks on a sharp decline. So if we look at average annualized returns of the S&P 500 index after market highs and after declines, here's what we see. After one year, after a new market high, on average, 13.9% return. After a 20% decline, 11.6. After three years, the three-year average, Investing after a new market high, 10.5%. Investing after a 20% decline, 9.9%. Very, very similar. Go out five years, new market high, 9.9%. After 20% decline, 9.6%. Those return differences are negligible. Those return differences show me that a family steward should treat record high prices with neither excitement nor alarm, just indifference. You see, humans are conditioned. And when I say humans, I mean me and I mean you. We are conditioned to think that after the rise must come the fall. And that tempts us to fiddle with our long-term plans. That tempts us to not invest when market when when we have money on the sidelines that tempts us to move our money around in our portfolio to take money from stocks and move them to bonds or from stocks and move them to to cash we are conditioned to think that after the rise must come the fall but i just showed you i just showed you that data suggests such signals only exist in our imagination and that our efforts to improve results by trying to time the market are likely to just penalize us. To penalize us how? To penalize us from reaching financial freedom sooner rather than later. To penalize us that we have a great retirement plan and now we start messing with our stocks and bonds and now we disrupt our retirement plan. We need to think differently as family stewards. We need to look at the data and not look at what the articles are saying in the newspaper 
because those articles simply are not looking at the data. The articles want clicks. You and me need to take comfort in knowing that share prices are not fighting the forces of gravity when they move higher and have confidence that record highs only tell us the system is working just as we would expect positive expected returns over time. Nothing more. So what do you say, family stewards? Let's follow the data and not follow those articles that are going to mess with our mind. Family stewards, what are we going to do? We're not going to treat record high prices with excitement or alarm. We're going to treat them with indifference and we're going to follow our plan to financial freedom and beyond. I will see everyone on the flip side. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye. The Best in Wealth Podcast is hosted by Scott Wellens. Scott Wellens is the principal at Fortress Planning Group. Fortress Planning Group is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities Act of Wisconsin in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Fortress Planning Group does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Best in Wealth Podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.